Ah, ah, well, here we go. Hello, everybody. I'm Maxwell, but you know what? Doesn't matter. I've got a story for you. It's a wonderful story full of goodness. The kind that gives you the warm and fuzzy feelings. Here, we're celebrating and thanking the incredible support given to Cancer Central. A true collaboration of minds and passion. Cancer Central exists thanks to over 70,000 donated hours to date. Volunteer time from over 300 individuals and 60 organizations. Their mission is to help people affected by cancer find the support and information they need for free. The book, Tech, Treats and Treasures, was published in June 2022. A feel-good book full of fun, technology tales and words of encouragement. Over 80 remarkable leaders sharing their insights and advice as a fundraiser for Cancer Central, helping to keep the site free from advertising <laughs> and messaging charges. This podcast series celebrates the book and their stories and golden nuggets. Now, I'm going to hand you over to Avril Chester, founder of Cancer Central and the narrator of the book. In this particular episode, like many others, it could be number one or ten or fifteen. Okay, she's going to talk you through Tech Treats and Treasure's purpose um, and all the wonderful things all the people have given us. Ah. So, once upon a time. Chapter 8. Learn. Tick-tock, flick-flock, tin-turn, lean-learn. A poem by Avril Chester. The beauty of technology is a continual evolution, but some days I feel like I'm in a parallel universe, and the language is just full of goobity-goop. I mean, when we think we've got through to using plain English, another acronym arrives. For example, NFT, non-fungible token. Kevin and I'll love what you're doing here, but a small plea, please. An easier name next time. We all learn and remember things in different ways. So what's your technique? Typical training events usually have an instructor with some PowerPoint slides, either in a classroom or in online via Zoom or Teams call, where they run through a set of slides and some information that provides a level of training. However, this type of training is a little bit passive and it doesn't really stimulate the sensory and thought processes that we need to develop um, training under certain scenarios and uh, situations. With gamification and simulation training, IQS have developed uh, simulation training where you go through a number of scenarios where you are learning planning, uh, reviewing, and understanding how to deal with a particular situation. It's very similar in the aviation industry where a pilot goes through a level of training to be able to deal with particular situations, such as, for example, if you might have seen the film Sully, where the pilot had to deal within 35 seconds a bird hitting his airplane and does he land into the river or does he go to an airport? What was the right decision? Those types of scenarios cannot be played out in a formal passive training scenario. This is why we in IQS develop simulation training but for the business. 
I've spent 25 odd years in the IT and digital transformation space. And with our simulation training, what we do is take IT teams through our interactive, experiential learning process where we help them understand how they can mature their IT departments in a digital context from bringing in service management best practices to agile ways of working and this is played through in scenarios and gameplays month on month plays where they're simulating a business to understand the impact of technology on the business against a core set of KPIs typically revenue profitability reducing revenue from incidents and it's playing those scenarios through and the permutations that give you that training so when you actually go into the live field i.e. in your organization you're armed with thoughts and processes and learning that allows you to understand particular scenarios that you could go through in your current organization to make those changes and pivots in your digital transformation journey. My name is Kuldeep Sandhu. I'm a transformational CIO, IT director and managing consultant. I have been working in the IT and digital transformation space for over 27 years and I own my own company called Innovative Quality Solutions. Love it, Dr. Kuldeep. What a great idea to create a simulation for transformation. We also learn from our own adventures. This too shall pass. A few years ago, over a pint, I found myself in a discussion about running the London Marathon to raise a bit of money for the NSPCC. This is a charity that had come a bit more into focus for me since becoming a parent myself. And after another pint, I'd strapped in and committed, along with a couple of work colleagues who were also topped up with a little bit of Dutch courage. A couple of quick nuggets from that experience for you. Commit, declare, and do. Running a marathon was certainly on my bucket list for as long as I can remember, after the initial hook of raising a bit of money for a good cause, it was declaring it to the people that I care and respect for that really nailed it on. Have a plan, but be agile. I had a good outline plan with all the times and distances that I needed to be achieving to get my goal, all sorted by the NSPCC and Virgin. I'd made a good start, but unfortunately, after about six or seven weeks, my training schedule fell apart. I'd caught a nasty chest infection and I couldn't shift it. I nearly pulled out as I couldn't bear the thought of not completing my goal and having to hand back all that sponsorship money I'd already raised. After reassessing my options and with a few tweaks to my training schedule, I shortened my sprints and assessed my progress every couple of weeks, setting new goals accordingly based on what I achieve. Eventually, coming to the realisation that all I had to do was get around the course and it would be a personal best. This too shall pass is an old saying that has resonated with me for most of my life, but became particularly relevant whilst I was training. It reminded me that the burn in my chest and the ache in my legs were only temporary, soon gone, and with equal measure helped me cherish the pleasure of finishing a run, knowing that I'd really pushed myself, all the while getting a little bit fitter, faster and stronger. Mark Harrison, Change Agent. I'm in awe of anyone who runs a marathon. I mean, serious kudos to you, Mark, and anyone who runs. I mean, if you're running now, I'm here with my pom-poms. Woo! Mark's nugget, this too shall pass, applies to so many circumstances throughout our life. And so too does Daniel Warburton's advice. 
I spoke to him and he was joking about the time when he was a 19-year-old sprightly quantity surveyor. I remember the time when I was sprightly too, Daniel. But he was talking about the time when he didn't think he would ever end up in IT. But he was reflecting and wanted to share some thoughts with you. He shared that when he started any adventure, he realized that it would be anything other than plain sailing. Life is challenging and can sometimes be cruel. But understand this, you are stronger and smarter than you know. That's wonderful of us, Daniel. And he goes on to tell us about when you're in that gray mist, when it comes down, when the bills are mounting up, the pressures are building around, in those times of adversity, when you persevere and dig deep. Know that this challenging moment is temporary and tomorrow is a brand new day. The answer is always within you. It's okay to say no sometimes. Totally agree. Totally agree. So let's talk a little further about technology. It's advancing. We're learning about it all the time. We talked about new acronyms. The world is full of scary stories. So thank you, Beth, for flipping the angle here and sharing more about the positive steps we can make. Technology is a tool that we can use to create, advance and improve. There are huge benefits that come with using this tool. A quick Google search returns positive impacts as good news stories, like a drone helping to save the life of a 71-year-old man injured in a hard-to-reach area, a young woman creating algorithms to turn sign language to written words in real time, a paralyzed man able to play a musical instrument for the first time using his eyes. Like all tools, they can deliver both a positive and a negative impact sometimes disruptive or abused through confusion, lack of appropriate training, or even through carelessness leading to errors. A popular transportation company experienced a chilling example of this in 2016 when testing out some self-driving cars powered by onboard artificial intelligence computers. One of the cars failed to recognize six red lights in a busy intersection with pedestrians present. It was originally claimed the incident was down to human error However, the media investigated further and found internal documents showing the error was due to the vehicle's mapping program not recognizing the traffic lights. With self-driving cars just one of the ways technologies are set to revolutionize the transportation industry, this is a scary mistake and one that we need to learn from fast when putting decisions and control points into automated hands. Especially as this is quickly evolving to equip technologies to learn from real-life actions making their own rules based on evidence-led situations. This raises an important question. How do we make sure these tools make the positive impact intended? As a process lead, I see firsthand the way emerging technologies can improve business efficiency for my clients, their people, and their customers. The most successful implementations are those that embed well with the people. In my experience, this is through collaborative analysis, recognizing ways of working and understanding the up and downstream impact. Having good representation of the people impacted along on the journey and strong governance framing the delivery of detailed, tested and well transitioned to be designs is vital to any positive technology implementation. Experience has taught us that technologies and their impact on people should always be at the forefront. 
therefore, the recent rollout of a system that ranks its citizens on their social credit in China really grabbed my attention. For context, people and all companies are measured and then rewarded or punished on their everyday interactions. The system is currently voluntary, though the plan is for it to become mandatory and unified across the nation. With each person given their own unique code used to measure their social credit score in real time. For those who score poorly, this could mean they are unable to buy premium plane tickets or get good credit from mortgages. It has been contended that this type of scheme would equalize the playing field, with privileges becoming available for those with good behavior rather than power and money. Alternatively, the extremity of constantly being watched is being heavily debated with concerns around privacy and automated decision-making. Opinions between the scheme's participants themselves have also vastly differed. Some of those involved have fed back that it is a great initiative, making them become better people. Others are comparing it to a constant Big Brother performance scheme, used to control and coerce good behavior rather than steer it. The proposed rollout of standardized and automated decision-making deciding real-life consequences for people, drew similarities to an episode of a popular technology TV series, Black Mirror. Individuals were steered into good behaviors by being rated by peers following social interactions, leading to positive or negative societal consequences dependent on that rating. The Black Mirror series features multiple episodes showing how technology could continue to evolve and be applied within society. It is often debated whether the way an episode unfolds down to the technology itself or the people's use of it and their responsive behaviors. Like the above, some people promote the use of technology to deploy and decide positive or negative reinforcements on behavior. Some of the more provocative episodes enact differing views on whether this is a dramatization of a distant and faraway dystopian future or more current and developing technology advancements. Concerning the latter, is it important to be objective on the potential impact of any advancement? How do we truly determine a positive impact when outcomes can be viewed so very differently by individuals? With artificial intelligence poised to become a huge movement in the next five years, and most major technology companies investing in AI technology right now, we should all be aware of the associated risks and lessons learned. The robot seems to make the perfect villain on the big screen. And with robot fear increasingly real, this area of advancement needs to be better understood. The fear of the unknown depicted in the dramatization still appears to be very real, with concerns around embedding bias into machines. This is valid and something that we should be talking about a lot more particularly in conversations to align this type of decision-making technology to zero bias regulations, just as we do for ISO information security certificates and GDPR. If the artificial intelligence seeds we are planting right now are to become our future decision-makers, we need to ensure this is done fairly through evidence-led policies and guidelines. Should we be giving unregulated decision-making abilities and the consequences on people to machines. Other key takeaways include the need for senior decision makers in organizations to engage with understanding the trade-offs inherent in introducing an algorithm. 
to be able to make informed decisions on how to balance risks and opportunities. They should expect and demand sufficient explanations of how an algorithm works before deploying it in a decision-making process. Transparency is also key here in helping organizations build and maintain the wider public's trust in such implementations. Findings contend that society will need to be engaged in this process. Technical expertise is required to navigate choices. However, fundamental decisions about what is fair cannot be left to data scientists alone. Decisions should only become legitimate if society agrees and accepts them. Regulators and industry bodies should work together with technical experts and the wider society to agree best practice within their industry. Establishing appropriate regulatory standards. The review recommends that there should be clear standards for anticipating and monitoring bias, for auditing algorithms and for addressing problems, encouraging the Centre for Data, Ethics and Innovation to play a key role in supporting organisations, regulators and government in getting this right. There is an ethical obligation to act wherever there is a risk that bias is causing harm and instead make fairer, better choices. Whilst embracing the positive impacts of technologies, it is also important to question whether this trajectory could change. It appears more work is needed in this area, with regulations welcome to prevent any potential biases in this field, ensuring technology remains positive for all in the future. Beth Younger, Process Lead at Embracent. Brilliant, Beth. Such an important and great topic. There is an ethical obligation to act. How are you involved? Someone I met relatively recently is the founder and CEO of Innovation Exchange called Sharon Matthew. He wows me, literally wows me about everything AI and ethics. See, he is an AI ethicist and a community leader, a former IBM AI expert who decided to leave corporate life and create a difference with ethical innovations. Such a hot topic right now. I asked him to give us a bit of advice on this, and this is what he shared. While researching on how to apply AI ethics, I discovered a new human right, the human right to intelligence. It's to protect an individual's intellectual capabilities, such as job experiences, expertise, and awareness of our ecosystem. A human right that could save jobs from unethical AI innovations. He really, really challenges, so suggests looking up Sharon Matthew, and his golden nugget is incredibly clever. AI ML with no ethics equals animal. Might want to write that one down a little bit and you can see how it shapes up. So we're learning all the time. The impacts of climate change are already being felt all over the world, including more extreme temperatures, threats to wildlife, loss of food sources, flooding, and lots more besides. In a recent report, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, in brackets IPCC, showed the difference between 1.5 degrees and 2 degrees C of global warming. But unless we reduce emissions rapidly, the world is likely to exceed 2 degrees. By the end of the century, warming could potentially reach 4 degrees C, possibly more. Stats on pace of climate change. 
Average global temperatures have risen by more than one degree C since the 1850s. 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019 and 2020 were the hottest years ever recorded. The figures show us that the planet has been warming since the Industrial Revolution. Sustainability has become an increasingly important element of a company's portfolio. Not only is it becoming mandatory for companies to report on their emissions and start to create strategies to move towards net zero and hence meet government committed targets, but it is also becoming increasingly important when it comes to doing business and attracting new employees to join your company. They want to see evidence that you are taking sustainability seriously and that it's not just a paper exercise, that in truth a lot of things are, when it comes to being compliant with specific standards. However, whilst it may indeed cause some additional outlay and in some cases will have a major impact, in addition to the obvious benefits to the planet, it will offer a business benefits, such as the opportunity to rethink your business model, the opportunity to save costs over time, the opportunity to take advantage of the latest technology available to increase your agility and speed to market. Technology is not the only factor that will resolve our issues with climate change and enable all organisations to meet their net zero targets. However, it is ideally placed to play a major part. For instance, moving out of costly, power-hungry data centres to more carbon-neutral environments provided by the major public cloud providers, in brackets hyperscalers, can immediately have a benefit. They all now offer tools to enable you to calculate your carbon footprint when consuming the relevant services. However, we also need to be mindful that the carbon footprint of tech infrastructure now exceeds that of pre-COVID air travel, according to a report released earlier this year by French think tank The Shift Project, which says emissions generated by tech are growing at 6% a year. This is as a result of the increasing reliance on technology whilst the corresponding improvements in efficiency are unable to keep up. Edge computing. Edge computing is beginning to gain ground with the advent of 5G. It is envisaged this will result in less power consumption. However, this is only possible if it can be deployed in highly efficient AI-enabled HVAC in brackets heating, ventilation and air conditioning close brackets systems to handle the power and cooling of the servers. However, once you have many more distributed sites, this becomes a more difficult expense to justify. This is particularly true when buildings haven't been designed and built specifically to be data centers, but are instead refurbished buildings like the old central offices that many companies have. There are also security concerns regarding deployment and ongoing management of these. There are a series of measures that owners of these edge computing rooms can take to become more efficient using the reduce, reuse and or recycle methodology. These include, for reduce, use renewable energy, precise monitoring and liquid cooling, slash switch off environmental units where possible. Power optimization, so this includes cold aisle, warm aisle in your data center. For reuse, look at asset planning 
for expanding the life of your servers. Also waste heat recovery and refurbishing your server rooms so that they are more efficient. Recycle. If you cannot measure, then you cannot control. Recycle materials that are used in data centers such as concrete, steel, etc. And ensure your provider has a roadmap towards net zero. VDI. VDI stands for Virtual Desktop Infrastructure and this is being used to replace the need to have the latest and greatest laptops to meet the needs of developers and heavy users of resources, which also means that older, less capable laptops can be reprovisioned instead of being thrown away and replaced. In short, there are many innovative uses of technology already being employed, and these all need to be incorporated in your thoughts for your IT strategy. And finally, I just want to leave you with this brief statement and something to think about. IT leaders are ideally situated to enable their businesses to transition towards net zero and should take advantage of this opportunity to demonstrate their increasing value to an organization. But you need to act fast as the time window for getting this right is very short. And if not now, then when? Sean Sadler, an IT leader, taking one day at a time. Couldn't agree more, Sean. Thank you for all that advice. It's important that we understand the carbon impact of technology. I mean, I'm a big fan of the Shift project. And in 2019, their report claimed online video streaming in 2018 was responsible for nearly 300 million tons of CO2. This is equivalent to what a country the size of Spain releases each year for all sectors combined. Let's get our heads around this for a minute. This was before Disney Plus announced their streaming services and before lockdown. I'm going to say the word again. Before. Before any of that. And as Sean mentioned, tech infrastructure now exceeds that of pre-COVID air travel. DW.com wrote about this comparing tech with other industries we usually associate with carbon emissions. They shared that digital technologies have even surpassed the aerospace industry in terms of carbon emissions. And while aviation share of global CO2 emissions is estimated to be around 2.5% and rising, nearly 4% of all CO2 emissions can now be attributed to the global transfer of data and the necessary infrastructure. It's a lot to get our heads around. So every time you upload or store that picture or video in the cloud, you are contributing to the global transfer of data and necessary infrastructure. So do you really need to keep 25 copies of that same photo or all the previous drafts of your video creation? Research from the heart of the city suggests a one hour video call between two people in London has the same emissions as traveling 10 kilometers by train. A one-minute mobile-to-mobile call produces 57 grams of CO2. This one's my favourite. An email of up to four words like, thank you very much. It's 0.3 grams of CO2. Just unbelievable. And I fear there is a myth that because we have reduced our work travel, we are saving on our carbon footprint. And indeed, in some ways we are. Are we also simply transferring it to a hidden emission? 
I'm personally keen to learn from you. Honestly, what I would love to learn or ask for is to agree on a standard calculation for tech consumption. Then we all know our starting point, comparing apples for apples, which will get us to the target of our energies towards the right solutions. There is a standard calculation for airlines, an average calculation for flights with a consumer you can act. This is a small plea for me. What is it for tech? It'll never be perfect, I admit. But if we add the number of devices, server room consumption, average data transfer and storage, cloud and cloud application usage, we should reach a decent informed place. But I bet if we did this now for our organizations, we would calculate it differently. Some like Sean will use open source cloud calculator, others will use something else. What are we all going to commit to and, and can we do it the same way, please? Pretty please, 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 please. Right, we all know inspiration and learning come sometimes from the most unusual places. Time to channel your inner Buzz Lightyear. Bitten by the space bug. Catherine Courtney, mother, strategic advisor, and chair of the Global Network on Sustainability in Space. In early 2016, I needed a career move. My boss rang me up one day and said that the previous CEO of the UK Space Agency was leaving in a few weeks and they needed somebody to replace him, quickly. I pointed out that I wasn't a rocket scientist. My predecessor was a rocket scientist and I knew absolutely nothing about space. He assured me they had enough rocket scientists and that wasn't a requirement for the role. I said I'd have to think it over. I wasn't sure. It was a high profile position. I'd need to travel a lot in spite of having two-year-old twins, a five-year-old, and an elderly dementia sufferer at home. And my mother had just been diagnosed with an aggressive terminal illness in the US. There was a lot to consider, and I wasn't confident I'd be up to the challenge. I told my son about the call and that I wasn't sure I wanted to do it. He looked straight at me and said, you know, mommy, if you don't try it, you'll never know if you like it. You should give it a go. So then I had to walk the talk, didn't I? Well, that was how I discovered my passion for space. I joined the UK Space Agency and spent the most stimulating year of my working life up to that point. Yes, there was a lot of traveling and juggling and yes, it was the year of Brexit, with all the fallout from that. But it was also a year of many, many exciting space missions that my team and I managed to keep on track in the face of change and uncertainty. I was completely bitten by the space bug. The global space sector was changing so rapidly. I left government to start on a new career path in space. Most of us don't realize how much we take space and space technology for granted. The 1950s, 60s space race gave us the laptop computer, cochlear implants, the dustbuster, which was originally designed to collect samples on the moon, CO2 monitors, CAT scans, 
memory foam mattresses. The list goes on and on. And satellites. Today, we rely on satellites for everything from climate change monitoring to the time signal stock markets use to determine whether a trade happens a second before or a second after the market closes. Where would we be without sat-nav in our cars and pockets? Satellite TV, international mobile phone services, and of course, the internet. The pace of innovation in space is remarkable. The space sector is now full of entrepreneurial zeal and disruptive new technologies and business models. While space is vast, it's also a unique environment, and we have to take care not to destroy it. Early technologies left a lot of debris up there. Indeed, rockets were originally designed to get where they were going through a series of explosions. Satellites that stop working become space junk. Collisions and disintegrating equipment create more debris. And a few nations, most recently Russia, have flexed their military muscles by blowing up one of their own satellites just to prove they can, creating massive clouds of debris that take decades to clear. There are a million bits of space debris out there, both large and tiny, all hurtling around at high velocity. The world urgently needs to wake up to the increasingly harmful impact humans are having on the space environment before it's too late and we make space unusable for future generations. This is where I now focus most of my energies working to keep space safe and sustainable. This story started with me being uncertain about stepping up to a new challenge. Learning about space taught me to look up, stop focusing on the obstacles on the path in front of me, and just be curious to discover what I could achieve and where the path might lead me. As the late, great Professor Stephen Hawking said, look up at the stars and not down at your feet. Try to make sense of what you see and wonder about what makes the universe exist. Be curious. Okay, hands up. Who wanted to be an astronaut as a kid and what did we learn from running around the garden with a box on our heads? Success doesn't come from perfection. It comes from learning, from mistakes, from others, from life. Jane Deal, IT Director. The most inspirational leaders I have met in both business and sport have been totally humble, as well as being great listeners. Spend just five minutes listening to someone and only talk for one minute and you'll start to find your own humility. I'm Peter Job. I am the founder and CEO of Intergence and two other tech businesses. Don't dwell on failures. Learn from your mistakes. Take on new challenges. And most importantly, focus forward. Dave Roberts, Global IT Director and Non-Exec Director.
A much wiser person than I once told me that an aircraft carrier is a useful analogy for most organizations. As senior leaders, we imagine ourselves the pilots, immaculate faces beaming from the leadership team page of our corporate websites. But in fact, we're ground crew, and as the leader of IT, we're the bottom of the ranks. We must support and serve our IT team so that they in turn can support the people in our organization who actually serve the customers. Be humble and flip the organization chart. You might think your ego will be bruised. It won't. Instead, you will achieve better things, engender far more respect from your people and get more done. Peter Williamson, a lapsed quarry manager, experienced CIO and charity trustee. Passionate about keeping it simple, innovation and purpose-driven businesses. However it makes you feel, it is always temporary. Don't let the bad days define you. Take action, take risks and enjoy the ride. Learn from every day, trust your gut and never give up. Laura Phillips. I love solving problems using technology and a huge dose of common sense. In times of stress and pressure, one of the best lessons I ever learned came from the penguins of Madagascar. Yes, the cartoon and their famous phrase, smile and wave. And whenever you're feeling under pressure or you're in a bit of a sticky situation, I promise smiling and waving is one of the best things you can do. Ian Wright, founder and CEO, the Disruptive Innovators Network. I'm smiling, Ian, I'm smiling. One of my favorite cartoon quotes I simply cannot help but sing is Dory's Just Keep Swimming from Finding Nebo. And at Cancer Central, we're just doing that. When I started my journey as an entrepreneur, I had all these grand plans. Some have seriously exceeded my expectations and others, well, talk about fizzle. I'm relearning about company structures, finding new ways to deliver and relearning again. I've received more support than in my wildest dreams. Thank you to every single one of you for buying this book. Collectively, I know we will find a simpler way to search. If you'd like to assist Cancer Central, please donate directly or visit nuggetstore.co.uk and buy your physical copy of the book, Tech, Treats and Treasures. Thank you. I love it. <laughs>